Welcome to The Wandering Naturalist, a Three Rivers Park District podcast. I'm Angela, a wildlife biologist at Three Rivers Park District. And I'm Brandon, an interpretive naturalist for Three Rivers Park District. Three Rivers Park District manages over 27,000 acres of parklands in suburban Hennepin County and surrounding areas. Join us as we wander from park to park and discuss the stories of the past, the nature in our present, and how these have shaped our parks. Come explore with us, The Wandering Naturalist. Welcome back to The Wandering Naturalist. I'm glad you all are still sticking with us. In our last episode, we talked about the adaptations that owls have to help them overcome the struggles of winter and not just overcome it, but thrive and actually raise their young, using their hearing and their sight to find their prey, using their feathers to keep them warm and to help camouflage them so they can hide. Today, we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to talk about how we know what raptors are in our park because owls are a kind of raptor. And so to introduce our volunteer, I'm going to turn it over to Angela. Yeah, so welcome back. Special guest here with us, Paul Schlick, who I consider a very dear friend and co-worker that works on various projects. So a jack of all trades, does work with our databases, uh, Blanding's Turtles, so has lots of experience and knowledge here in the Park District. And Paul has over 6,000 service hours. So volunteer... All star. You got a lot of trees in your name, then. I do. Yeah. He's got a few trees. If you if you do so many hours, you get a tree, and it's probably getting close to a forest. Yeah, um, I think I'm either the second or third highest volunteer hours for in the history of the park district. So. Well, hopefully, some owls. Well, yeah. I know that Utilize if we ever have any trees. questions about the park districts at uh, Eastman, you're the one we go to. So. And, and I try to convince you of the answer, whether I know it or not. <laughs> and, and, and usually, we believe you. Yeah. So Paul Schlick, who's joining us here, he coordinates the Raptor Survey of Elm Creek Park Reserve. And as Brandon mentioned, that's not just owls, to clarify. Uh, But that's why we're here today, to kind of see what Paul can tell us and share with experiences of doing these surveys in the parks. And again, this takes place at Elm Creek Park Reserve. So Paul, can you tell us a little bit about your history with Three Rivers? Sure. Um, I've been volunteering with the Park District and actually worked on part-time staff for a number of years, too, um, since the early 90s. I'm actually an engineer by background. I have master's and bachelor's degrees in industrial engineering and was working for a large company. And then I actually went through depression a couple of times um, that were serious. And my wife and I decided that uh, for my health, I had to get out of the world of cubicles and office buildings and things. And, and uh, fortunately, she was promoted about that time. So the financial pressure wasn't there. So I cast around for things that I could do that would uh, be better for me. And I discovered what was then called Hennepin Hennepin Parks, which is now called Three Rivers Park District, through a roundabout process and ended up uh, visiting Eastman Nature Center, which I had never heard of. Um, I grew up on a farm in Iowa, and we didn't have nature centers back at that time. They do now. So I started volunteering up there and found that there's just a rich variety of things that the park district has volunteers do. And I didn't know a lot about nature. I grew up on a farm, but I didn't know about the natural world around me. And I found out a great way to, to learn about that is to volunteer. So if anyone's listening to this and they want to learn more about the world around you, just find a nature center to go volunteer at. And um, So I started volunteering up there in the early 90s and just got onto a wide variety of projects and learned more and more each time I did. Are you a master naturalist? No, I'm not. not That's by... surprising. <laughs> I would have guessed that. He's, he's higher level than a master <laughs> yeah, naturalist just... at this point. <laughs> yeah, <He's>, um... <laughs> yeah I, I don't know what, like he's like the regent naturalist, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Um, I'm sure there's <laughs> many things I could learn if I went through the master naturalist programs anyway. So 
So that's got how I got started with the park district and particularly up in Eastman Nature Center. And I worked on oh, one project. We live trapped and radio collared a herd of deer down in Highland Park Reserve and followed them around for a couple of years. And we've done the same with, with Blanding's Turtles in Elm Creek Park and Crowhassen that Park. That's with telemetry work. Right. Which is yeah. kind of cool because telemetry work like started here in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah, I, t- I tell people, well, I radio track turtles and they kind of give you this funny look and say, come again. Yeah. How, so, how, huh? I say, I used to do deer and then I got older and now I do turtles. There you go. <laughs> I like that. I like that segue. So how did you get into this raptor survey program? Well, one of the volunteer activities they had back in the early 90s at Eastman was the raptor survey that... The history of it is that back about 1980, the wildlife department in the park district, they wanted to set a baseline for what raptors were in their parks. So they coordinated surveys from about 1980 to 1987. They would get volunteers and they'd go out and intensively try to find raptor nests, hawk and owl and eagle. Um, And then in 1987, they stopped that as a a district-wide thing. But the nature centers could continue if they wanted to. And fortunately, Eastman Nature Center continued as a volunteer um, activity led by a, a naturalist. So I signed on to that, and uh, I remember the that was probably back about 1991. And I remember one of the guys, naturalists that worked there, a guy named Steve Robertson, knew where a red-tailed hawk nest was. And so he took me up to the north end of the park, and we went to the woods, and there was this tree with this big nest in it. And as we walked up, this big bird jumped off and flew off. And, I think I was hooked from that point on it. I, I didn't, never seen a red-tailed hawk or never really noticed one. As a matter of fact, the next morning before dawn, I got up and went back up there just to see what would happen at dawn with this big bird. And, and I actually don't remember. I think it stayed there, which is when I started to realize that one of the keen things about studying raptors is they don't get up at the crack of dawn, a lot of them. <laughs> they tend to, My kind of birds. Yeah, they tend to soar around and ride on thermals, which... are generated later in the day. So you don't have to get up and go listen for birds early in the morning. You can kind of wait till mid-morning and afternoon. So that was one of the things I liked about raptors. So about the fourth year, or maybe it was longer than that, there were only three of us, three volunteers at training. And it was my favorite project because I could go out and wander around out in nature and in the woods. And and in the park district, it's against ordinances to be off trail unless you have have a, a reason. And that was my reason. I just found that I really enjoyed going out and sitting on a log and listening for birds and, and whatever. So, And so, because you're collecting information for us to use, you had a special use permit to be able to go yeah, I mean, out it, there and do that. It was a sanctioned project um, out of the nature center, so I could do that. So I was afraid it was just going to get dropped. So since I had time, um, and I'm a detail person, I, volu- I asked him if I could maybe coordinate the project. And they said, sure. I think they were happy because their <laughs> naturalists would They were it. waiting. They were waiting yeah. for it. Always happy when a volunteer coordinates oh, yeah. a project for us. And that's one of the things about volunteer, volunteering for the park district is I found quite often there are things that they would like to have done that they don't even realize. And if you have that kind of incentive, you can do lots and lots and lots of different things with the park district. So I started putting some more structure into it and developed training materials and advertised in our local newsletters for volunteers and and built it up so we'd get 20 or 25 volunteers and just kind of went from there. What is the uh, the goal of the program? Because you've been doing it for, I think, about 27 years now. Thanks for reminding is, me. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. Um, I, I imagine over those 27 years, the goals maybe shifted over time, or is it still the same as it originally was? Well, <laughs> the ultimate goal is, as I just explained, is 
an excuse for me to be able to go out in the woods. <laughs> well, but, I mean, that's no. your goal. Yeah. But I actually, I know that I've used your data a lot with school groups. Um, I had a middle school group last year who formed their entire curriculum just around the Raptor survey data that you've gotten. So we've gotten a lot right. of good educational use out of it. Um, but um, are there any other goals besides just having school well, groups have um, access to the data? The goal, I think, is what you touched on is if you're going to be a natural resource-based park district, which we are, and you're going to be education-based, which Eastman is, and you're going to try to convince people that the more they know about nature, the better off they are and the more fun it is being out in it, then it behooves you to know what's out there. And so that's what the raptor survey does with as far as raptors go. It helps you in the Nature Center be able to transmit to people what we have surrounding us out in the resource. Um, so that, that, I think, is, is the main objective. The second one is it's a good project for volunteers, particularly long-term volunteers. It's a nice reward to allow them to go out and wander around in the woods. How many volunteers do you have right now? Well, right now it's probably about 20. Um, Over the course of the 27 years, I don't know if we might be closing in on 100 different people that have participated. What we do is we segment the park into eight what we call sectors, and there are varying sizes that it depends. And Elm Creek is our largest park. Yeah, it's over 5,000 acres. So it's a big playground for raptors. So we have eight sectors. Um, They're varying sizes. It just kind of depends on what the natural boundary lines are. And and volunteers sign up for one or more of those. And and they can go out on their own time um, as their schedules allow and go around and look for raptors. And this is a specific time of year. Well, we started in early February. And is that for the owls? Yeah, because some of the like great horned owls could be on nests by then. And also the, the leaves aren't out yet. That makes life a little easier. Yeah, for, for stick nest users, um, like great horned owls and, and red-tailed hawks and things, if you can identify at least where the stick nests are... You can watch them. You can, you can keep track of them even after the leaves come out. Um, cavity nesters are, are a lot harder to find. And that'd be like the barred owl. Yeah, barred owl and, and American kestrels, although they tend to use boxes and things now, so... And we know we have eastern screech owls in the park, but they're strictly nocturnal, and we don't survey at night. We, yep. don't, we don't use calls. So. And they're cavity nesters, too, and aren't they? they're cavity nesters, so. and there are thousands of cavities. <laughs> they're so, yeah, they're really cute, but <laughs> yeah. I've never seen one in person. Yeah. I've never heard of them. I've only seen them in captivity, yeah. They tend not to nest where I think they should. I find lots of great cavities. I say, oh, there should be an owl there. You should Sell maybe them. take that up with them. Yeah. Do you find like you target certain areas? Like I know for me, when people are like owl watching or going to look for owls, they think conifers or they think kind of particular areas of interest that might be more prone to it. Well, I mean, we have a good history, so we kind of know where they hang out and tend to go to those sections a lot. When I first started, before I started uh, coordinating and even afterwards, you know, I had a lot of time and I spent a lot of time out there and a lot of the volunteers, the, the volunteers come out when they can. And as spring moves on, we, we go from February to maybe June when most fledging occurs. Over that time, the volunteer intensity drops off because a lot of stuff comes up yeah, in spring. And people get busy. But I had time, so I, I'd find maybe 80% of the nests. Now I have a volunteer who's been with us for about three years, and uh, I haven't been out in the, doing it as much. But he lives near the park and works out of his house and, and is a master naturalist and just loves being out there. So he's been finding 80 or 90% of the nests wow. recently. We call him the owl whisperer. <laughs> it takes a lot, of, a lot of time to find an owl cavity. Um, I can't imagine. Like barred owls, since, ni- since I started keeping records in the year 2000, we've found 
12 nests, eight of them in the last three years by this guy. Hmm. Since the year 2000, we've found 216 active nests in the park on 115 different sites, and I keep track of how those sites are used. And we found great horned owls trading off with red-tailed hawks over, you know, in the same nest. Uh, year after year. Year after year. Because great horned owls don't make their own nests, so they That's take right. over somebody else's. That's right. This year we had um, great horned owls took over one of our two eagle nests from previous years and took o- over our osprey nest. From when you say take over, they, when uh, the eagle comes back, because they'll... They and they stick around. Yep. So I mean, how does the eagle feel about this? Well, they, <laughs> What's, what is his response? Let's. They don't. They don't talk to me about it. But, <laughs> um, well, I mean, great horned owls. You know, they nest first. They don't build their own, so they have the choice of nests, and they're very aggressive. So they take a nest, and quite often the eagles. And in this case, we have a new eagle nest on the other side of the, that particular lake, that I assume was the was the eagle that got displaced by the owls from the other side. I've seen a lot of good YouTube videos where they're from eagle cams and whatnot, mm-hmm. and sometimes the eagle wins and sometimes the great horned owl That's wins. Right. Um, I got to help some researchers with eagle research uh, in checking their young. And what the eagle researchers told me is that bald eagles, while majestic, are not the bravest birds. Um, Why, when you're that big? Well, you know, <laughs> even when they're young is being um, taken from the nest and the scientists are doing it for good reasons, but um, the adults don't ever actually try to defend their young. They just fly around in circles, and they literally sound like (laughs) um, that's their distress call compared to, you know, owls or falcons that they've researched, which will dive bomb the researchers. So I can't imagine an eagle is going to put up a huge fight for an emptiness if its its young aren't even in there Mm. when it can go build another. There are examples of owls taking a nest after the eagle returned. Yeah. Brandon says sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't work out so well for the owl. So. Mm-hmm. I know you've worked with the Raptor Center from the University of Minnesota a lot um, because of your raptor survey mm-hmm. at Elm Creek Park. Why has the Raptor Center um, worked with you and what have they asked you to do? Well, that's been one of the unforeseen key benefits of the raptor survey in my, in my view. We have a couple of surveyors and in the past there's been others that also volunteered down at the Raptor Center. So... I think that's how the Raptor Center became aware that we were doing the survey. And back in 1994, um, Lori Arndt, who was the the office manager at the Raptor Center, called me and asked if I knew of any broadwing hawk deaths because they had a couple of juvenile hawks, broadwings, that had something happened to their nest and their parents and they they needed to be put back somewhere. And we happened to have an active broadwing hawk nest. And that was the first time that I learned that raptors can be eat, can be fostered, and so these were rehabilitated birds. Well, they were they were chicks. I mean, they, chicks, they okay. were still downy, so they had to go back into a net into a broad-winged hawk nest, and I and I learned from them that uh, if you put a little hawk out in the woods um, of a particular species, and there are parents of that species around, and that little hawk starts making little hawk calls, that that parent will adopt them, and so if you know of an um, an active nest site of a particular species, and they have that species that needs to be fostered, then they can bring that out, and and those parents will foster that as as if they're the, their own. These two chicks were pretty small, so they had to actually go into a nest, um, and so they brought a climber out, and he climbed up and put those chicks back up into that nest. Other examples, and we've done this now nine times with the Raptor Center with eleven different juveniles, 
if the juveniles are big enough and, and fledged and can fly but need parental guidance and to help to learn how to hunt and things, then you can just put them into a tree close by as long as you know those parents are still in the area. Because it'll beg. It'll beg, and then yep. those parents will start to feed it like their own. So so we've done uh, one eagle and four red tails and four broadwing hawks and a barred owl and a, and a long-eared owl, actually. Long-eared owl, we didn't know where there was a nest site, but they said that it had been trained to hunt and they just need a good habitat. So we took it to where I had seen long-eared owls a couple times in the past years. So, so that's awesome. So yeah. because of this survey, we've got a lot of good education about it, but we've also been able to help birds that have been rehabilitated or needed a new home. Right. So that's that's right. really cool. So there's, so there's a lot of benefits to it. Plus it puts us, our volunteers are kind of the first out of the trails um, in the spring. And so we can pr- report issues with trails and down trees. And we found a couple stolen cars over the years. And, <laughs> it's and a strange find. Like, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So... Well, and that, that segues way really well into what we're going to talk about in our next episode. Basically, you're taking these owls and these other raptors out to sites you found because they've been rehabilitated by the Raptor Center. They're owls that are able to go back in the wild. Some but don't. that's Some not don't. always the case. Exactly. Uh, and a lot of our nature centers have these raptors and these owls. So on our next episode, we're going to talk to Adam Barnett from Richardson Nature Center, who used to work at the Raptor Center. And he's going to talk to us about... Um, why do our nature centers have raptors and owls? What do we do with them? And also, what can you do if you find an injured raptor? So thank you, Paul, for coming and sharing your stories with us and your time with it. We really appreciate it. Thanks for You're welcome. It's been everything fun. you contribute to sure. the park system. You're welcome. And if you are interested in volunteering yourself like Paul is and maybe rivaling him for the amount of trees he has, <laughs> you can go to threeriversparks.org slash volunteer and figure out how to volunteer there. Highly recommend. Yep. All right. Thank well, you very much. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you, I suppose, in the next episode. In the meantime, if you have questions or comments for us, if you have ideas for topics you want us to talk about, uh, you can go ahead and email us at wanderingnaturalist at threeriversparks.org. Thank you to the Macaulay Library at Cornell for the natural sounds that we use in our podcast.